Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, happy Sunday. It's great to see everybody. I can't believe it. It's the end of June. We're about to have the 4th of July. I hope you're loving your June. I know it's not the same, but Man, I've been trying to just make the best of what God's given us in this season. So I'm hoping that you're enjoying your family time. I'm hoping you're enjoying some friend time. Uh, and I hope you enjoy the How Grays Are God series because it's over. Today, I'm starting a new message. It's a standalone. And the title of it is Pick Up Your Sword. But I got two titles. Also, The Rhythm of Greatness. So whichever one you like, take it. If you don't like the other one, toss it. Now, what this was birthed out of was the book of Joshua. Now, the book of Joshua, it's this powerful book. It's broken into three parts, preparation, warfare, and reward. Now, the thing that you gotta understand about Joshua is when they were uh, sent out of captivity of Egypt, they were promised the promised land. God has a promise for everybody that he births and creates that says yes to him. He's got a promise for him. Now, what's sad is, is that Joshua as a young man saw a whole generation forfeit the promise. And I'll be honest to you, as a pastor, the last 17 years of my life, I've seen people forfeit the promise. The heart of this message is that you would not forfeit the promise. And so what I want to do is I want to read you a verse in Deuteronomy 1 where, where it all started, where the promise was birthed, if you will. And it says this, look, I'm giving you all this, um, look, I'm giving all this land to you. Stop. Oof. I love that statement right there. Look, I'm giving all this land to you. So what do you do now? Do you sit there and just wait? All right, God, do everything. No, no, God wants us to partner with him. Here's what he says. He says, go in and occupy it. Church, if we want the things of God, if we want to actually take back the ground that God has for us, this is not gonna be a sitting thing. This is gonna be taking ground back thing. And so what I love about our church is we're not a spectator church. We're not a watch church. We're a God, where do you want us? Command us and we'll go take back ground kind of church. We'd be, if we do that for the rest of our days, oof, watch us live out our promise. He goes on to say, for it is the land that the, uh, uh, that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all their descendants. I always think about uh, Abraham, and I know we finished it, but I just got to tell you this real quick. Abraham labored for years, and then Isaac just got to inherit what he labored. Church, we got to inherit what other people labored. We got to inherit what other people sacrificed for. And I always process how Isaac would steward it, and I'm just praying that as we steward this season that we'd understand that we inherited all oh, sacrifices from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on and so forth. Man, may we steward it. And so let's pick up Joshua 1. Joshua 1 is now the generation that forfeited their promise has died off. God comes to Joshua and prepares them for war. So the first five chapters of Joshua is preparation. Yes, buckle up. I'm going through the whole book of Joshua today. I hope you got a few hours on you. Kidding, 45 minutes. Kidding, 55 minutes. Kidding, I have no idea. Okay, here we go. So Joshua 1, let's just go into it. I want to see what happens. I want you to see this. There's two things that happen. One is you're going to see the rhythm of greatness. Preparation, warfare, and reward. But the biggest thing you're gonna see is that in preparation, the first thing God tells Joshua is pick up your sword. It's no normal sword, it's the word of God. And here's what he says in Joshua 1:5. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Whew. The same God yesterday and today and forever says this to you. I was with Moses, I'm gonna be with you. That promise is not just for Joshua, it's for you and I. Oh, I pray that you hold on to that promise. He goes on to say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Man, the world needs a strong, courageous church right now. Come on now, Mr. Church. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it uh, to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Man, you wanna be successful, obey God. 
It's not that complicated. Obedience is a big part of success. Here we go. Keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. That's one of my life verses, Joshua 1.8. Oh, study this book. Meditate on this book. May it never leave your lips and so you can be successful in everything you do. My softball number is actually number 18 because of Joshua 1.8. Yeah, I'm one of those Christians, okay? Here we go. Uh, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Woo! There's two things he promises on this journey of preparation. My command and my presence will be enough. Is that enough for you? Is God's presence enough for you? Something I've realized in this journey, especially this COVID journey, is that peace is not taking care of all the problems. No, it's actually having his presence. Peace is not an absence of problems. It's the awareness of his presence. Let me say it again. Peace is not an absence of problems. It's an awareness of his presence. Something I've realized is that as we go on this journey, there's always gonna be problems, if you will, but his presence is what gives peace, not an absence of problems. And so he promises that to Joshua. Hey, Joshua, you're gonna have problems on this, but you'll always have my presence. Hey, Joshua, you're gonna have decisions to make, but you'll always have my word with you. This will be enough to take back the reward and to have warfare. All right, here's what I wanna do. We're gonna look at what does preparation look like, what does warfare look like, and what does reward look like? Preparation is one of the most underrated things on the planet. We wanna go into this life and just reap rewards without preparing. Have you ever seen anybody run a marathon? Oh, you gotta prepare for a marathon. Have you ever seen anybody uh, run a marathon? They didn't know where they're running during a marathon. Have you ever seen the people on the side of the marathons that are cheering them on and giving them the waters? Man, you need people on the sidelines cheering you on and giving you uh, uh, things to drink to be able to run the race. So we're gonna find out how we prepare, how we fight, and then how we steward the reward. Does that sound good? Okay, I'm gonna pray. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you for the privilege it is to speak your promises and your word. Oh, Lord, I, I pray that we would understand the opportunity the church has in the midst of this chaos. Lord, we have the opportunity to be light in the midst of darkness. We have the opportunity to be love among hate. I, I think of that verse in the Old Testament, Lord, where you said we're, we are the lily among the thorns. Oh, Lord, we have the opportunity to be beauty in the midst of a lot of ugliness right now. Oh, God, may we be those things. Lord, we love you, we love you. Everybody said? Amen. All right. So first thing is, uh, what does preparation look like? There's three things preparation looks like. You'll see this in Joshua. What, first one is, pick up your sword. Pick up your sword. Joshua 1.8. I'm going to read it to you again. It's one of my favorite verses. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Woof. I love what, what the way the word is described in Hebrews 4.12. I'm gonna read this to you. A lot of scripture today. I hope that's okay. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Stop. During this time, oh, especially during this time, you better learn how to pick up your sword and swing your sword. I'm just gonna be honest. Um, I'm a person that I have road rage sometimes. If somebody cuts me off, Rachel knows that I am somebody who's willing to honk. Like, and not a little honk, I'm gonna honk so they know. And then I'll even speed up because I wanna see who this person is. And that's Rachel's least favorite part. She's like, oh my gosh, I don't wanna see him. I don't wanna see him. I'm like, I need to see this person. And then, you know, I usually see who it is. And uh, so far, I've never seen anybody from church. Thank goodness. Um, but what I realized is that when I'm in my car and somebody cuts me off and I honk, I'm really brave. Oh, I just, you know, you cut me off, honk. And just, I want them to know I'm angry. But you know what I never do? When I'm in the grocery store and I've got my grocery little um, basket, I'm walking down the aisle and somebody cuts me off, you know what I don't do? Honk, hey, what you doing? Cut me off with your grocery. No, you wanna know why? Because there's a person, a real human right in front of me, not a car, but a person. And what I've noticed about this season of our life is that we're, we're using a hammer more than we're using a sword. 
And the way the sword's described in the Bible, it's described like a scalpel. We're not, we're not called to hammer people. We're called to use the sword with people. The sword protects people. The sword cuts things out and, and sets people free. The hammer just destroys people. I think of the, the story in the, uh, in the New Testament about the woman who's caught in adultery. Oh, the mob comes up and says, that's it, she failed, smash her. They come with a hammer. They say, destroy this sinner. Destroy this person who made a mistake. And Jesus brings out the sword, the scalpel, if you will. The word of God judges all hearts. And he writes in the sand. And I believe that when we get to heaven, we'll find out what he wrote. But I really believe what he was doing was he was using the word of God to show people, man, we all have failed. You don't want me to use a hammer. I'm gonna use a sword. And what does the sword do? It, it, it cuts the sin out of our life. It says, I forgive you, sin no more. But now, Go and live the life you're called to live. Oh, church, if you want to actually start making a difference, stop using your hammer on social media. Stop using your hammer uh, with people uh, via DMs and text messages. This is not taking back ground. We are not a church that hammers people or slams people. We're a church that uses the word of God to set people free. We're the people that use the word of God to tell people how much God loves them. We're the people that use the word of God to let them know about the promises of God. We're the people that use the sword, the scalpel, to let people know they can be redeemed and restored. Man, we're supposed to be bringers of hope. We're supposed to be bringers of redemption. The sword is something that people should want in their life, not be afraid of. We are not the hammer church, we're the sword church. Pick up your sword is what he's telling Joshua. And he's telling us, if we wanna have victory, we gotta pick up our sword. Second thing in uh, preparation, what we need to pick up is we need to pick a team. We need to pick a team. Uh, now you need to pick your team carefully. Now, if you know anything about Moses, he picked 12 guys, they came back and they blew it for everybody. Joshua 2 shows this. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp of Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River and reported to Joshua all that had happened to the land. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. Stop. Woof. They come back and they say, hey, guess what? The land that God's promised, the first victory, they're terrified of us. This is ours. Let's go get it. I don't know about you, but I get a report like that. I'm fired up. Let's go to battle. It's interesting. Why are they terrified? There's a promise in Deuteronomy 2. It says this. So set out now and across the Anon Gorge. See, I've given into your hand Sihon, the Amorite, the king of Heshbon, the hill country. Begin to take possession of it and engage him in battle. This very day, I'll begin to put terror and fear of all the nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. One of the promises God gave God's people was to stir, stir faith in them. I'm gonna put fear in other nations. They're gonna be afraid of you. Now let's go to the other team. Numbers 13, 31. They went out and spied the land out. Here's what they said. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among them, the Israelites, a bad report about the land they explored. They said, the land we explored devours those who live in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Stop. Two different moments. Catch this. The first group says, oh, we can do this. We can devour and destroy this. The second group says, oh, we're done. It's interesting. There's two things that we see in preparation to battle. God wants to stir you up and he wants to use people to stir you up in faith. I'll prove it to you. This is, the team that you pick in your life is going to 
dictate if you have victory or no victory, if you move forward or if you move backward. I'll show you a verse. Ezra 1.5, it says this. This is what God wants to do. Then God stirred the hearts of the priests and the Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple of the Lord. Woo! The Lord stirs hearts to build a house. Have you ever been in church and you just, your heart starts to stir? You're like, man, I want to give to this. I believe in this. That's God stirring your heart to build a house. Have you ever been with somebody, you just want to help somebody? It's God stirring your heart to go help somebody. God stirs hearts. We're built to be stirred up. Let me ask you a question. Have you been on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter lately and got stirred up? Where you like, we're like just going through the stories. You read one, you're like, what happened? Second one, this person's an idiot. Third person, how does somebody think like this? And then you start going and then you're done with Instagram. You, you go out, talk to your spouse. I have no faith in humanity. I mean, you, did you see what's on Instagram today? Look at what, how people are talking to each other. Look how people are processing. And you're just all stirred up and you have no faith. Like, all right, that's it. We're, we're moving here. We're leaving the country. We're moving to this state because this place is just, it's gone to the crapper. Yeah, I said gone to the crapper. That's what happens when people go on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you want to go, they get stirred up by the world and they never really get stirred up in a great way. Most of the time they get stirred up frustrated with people or frustrated with people that don't think the same way they do. The Bible says that the church, we're supposed to stir each other up. Here's what it says in Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Man, the church that we need to have in this time is a church that hangs out in God's presence and gets stirred to do great things. And not only that, they go to other people and think of ways to stir them up to do great works. They say, oh, I was reading my Bible today and, and God was convicting me that, man, I gotta be more gracious with these people. Man, I was, I was praying today and man, I need to go love these people. They don't even know who I am. They, they don't even know what real love is. They don't know what real grace is. Hey, let's go do this. And we need to be a church that picks the right team and the right team that comes to us says, hey, let's go do this. Because the reality is, is one one team stirred up fear. The other team stirred up faith. Man, let's be a church that stirs up faith. Does that sound good? Third thing that it looks in preparation is you have to pick your leader. Pick a leader. Pick somebody to actually get your marching orders from. I want to show you this in preparation, John 5, 13 through 15. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And this, Joshua fell on his face to the ground in reverence, and I love, his, I love Joshua's response. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? This is a Christophany. This is not an angel. This is, um, this is Jesus. Before Jesus even came, theologians call it a Christophany. You'll see this with Jacob also. It's an amazing moment. Angels never, ever want to be worshiped. You'll see this in Revelation when, when people would bow down to worship an angel. Like, hey, I, I'm just created like you are. You don't worship me. Jesus allows himself to be worshiped because he's built to be worshiped. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did as he was told, stop. I think it's interesting. People are trying to choose a leader and they're trying to choose a ideology or an idea of what to actually say yes to. Can I just tell you real quick? God's not on the Republican team and he's not on the Democratic team. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a little political, you ready? When I was younger, people always told me, if you wanna be a Christian, you have to vote Republican. And now what's interesting to me is I actually feel more pressure from Democrats. Now, well, if you're actually gonna be a Christian, you better vote Democrat. And something's happening here where, if I'm being honest, that, that we think that this is where I'm gonna get my marching orders from, a political party. Oh, I hope you're not getting your marching orders from a political party. I hope you're not listening to a political party getting your marching orders. I hope you go to the King of Kings and say, God, what have you commanded me to do today? 
I hope, I hope you, you aren't getting your marching orders from some movement or some, from some mob. I've told this to our staff and I'll say it to you right now. I am not going to snap a salute to any mob, to any, to any movement. I'm gonna snap a salute to one and his name is Jesus. Oh, church, we gotta pick a leader. And our leader has to be Jesus. Our leader has to be the one that says, I died on a cross and this is, uh, this is what I gave you. I gave you the, the way to life, the way to abundant life. No political party is gonna change the world. Are politics a good thing? Sure, but they're not the vehicle to change the world. The church is, and the church actually says yes to Jesus is the one that's gonna change the world. I mean, I have more conviction than ever on that subject. Man, pick a leader, and then know actually who your leader is. Find out what, what words are on your lips. Are they words of the word? Are they words of a political party? Are they words of, the, of life? Are they words of a movement of this world? Oh, I want Jesus' words on my lips. I want Jesus' um, heart in my heart. I want, I want his mind to be my mind. I want the things of God. Is this making sense? I hope it is. Let's keep going. So that's what pressure, preparation looks like. Now, what does warfare look like? Now, these are all getting to the grand finale. Uh, you're gonna like the ending, I promise. Uh, but I really, I, I feel like I gotta set this up. What does warfare look like? It's two things that, uh, excuse me, three things that warfare looks like. Perspective, faithfulness, and obedience. You wouldn't think those would be the three things I would tell you that warfare looks like, but I'm gonna show you that when Joshua takes back ground, you see preparation, pick, pick up your sword, pick a team, pick a leader. Those are all the things that Joshua has to prepare before he takes back the ground. There's things to be done before he takes back ground. But when he takes back ground, you would think warfare would look different, but the more and more that I'm in ministry, man, faithfulness looks like victory. Faithfulness looks like warfare. First one I wanna touch on though is perspective, perspective. Now, the uh, reason why I want to talk about perspective is Joshua and Caleb are the only two that saw victory when everybody else saw defeat. They saw something through the lens of their life. They saw a perspective that said, no, our God is bigger than whatever's in front of us. I, yeah, I'm gonna use a marriage illustration. If you're not married, bear with me. If you are married, we're gonna have a little bit of a marriage conference real quick. Ready, go. Okay, so uh, um, Love Respect, a uh, uh, great book from back in the day, uh, bestseller. There's one of the things that the author talks about. It's called the 80-20 ratio. And the 80-20 ratio is where your perspective lies, where your eyes lie. And he shares this verse in the 80-20 ratio. It's 1 Corinthians 7, 28. It says this, but if you do get married, so if you're single, I want to give you a little advice. If you do get married, it is not a sin to get married. And if you're a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, those who get married, here it is. Here's some advice. At this time, we'll have troubles. So those of you who get married, just want to give you a heads up. There's going to be trouble in marriage. And I'm trying to spare you those problems. Paul's going on to say, hey, singleness is actually pretty great. Singleness is fantastic. There's less, I got more bandwidth. There's less chaos. There's less of this. But if you do get married, just so you know, there's gonna be some troubles. I think we get married and we think 100% of our marriage is gonna just be great all the time. It's just gonna be a great time hanging out with our spouse, 100% of the time. What, what this author does in love and respect, what, what he says is basically, he goes, hey, there's gonna be a percentage. Maybe 20% is not gonna be great. Maybe 30%, maybe only 5% is not gonna be great. But what happens in a lot of marriages and what the problem is, is that the spouses start to focus on the 20% of what's wrong instead of the 80% of what is great. Rachel and I, we, uh, we talked to him and said, what's our percentages? And so Rachel and I, we think we're, been, we're a 95-5 marriage. 95% great, 5% not great. Once in a while when we're fighting, I'll say, hey, we're at 90-10 right now. We gotta work on this girl. And she'll what do you mean 90-10? I thought we were 95-5. Oh, it's like the stock market sometimes. We just drop 5%. We got to get, get it going. Um, but it's fascinating. I have a great marriage. But I find myself sometimes focused on the 5%. And when you have your eyes on the wrong things, on the 5%, it just steals from the gift that is in front of you, the joy of the day, the joy of your spouse. Oh, 
And what I love about uh, Joshua, it's, it's, it reminds me of a verse also in Song of Songs 2.15. It says this, catch uh, uh, for us those foxes, little foxes that ruin the vineyard, our vineyards that are in bloom. Stop. The Bible's saying, watch out for the little things that can steal the big things. Watch out for the little itty bitty foxes that can steal the whole vineyard. And Joshua's saying, a handful of people cannot steal the great promise. A, a handful of big giants cannot steal the great promise. Joshua, at this moment, I, I, I'm going I'm to make this a personal one, if, if that's okay with you. When we were starting this journey with COVID and being on quarantine, I hated it. I hated it. Our church, we were growing. People were getting saved. We were going to have to move into a new venue because we weren't fitting in Las Lomas anymore. We are doing three services. I mean, worship was starting to go like, to that level where you walk in, you're like, ooh, something's in the room, and his name is Jesus. I was preaching, and the people didn't look like they were like this anymore. They were like, amen. Come on, pal. I was like, oh, my gosh. They actually are they're, they're responding. I was loving it. And then in one day, shut it down. And the following week, I'm preaching to a camera in my dining room. And I'm literally sweating. It took Rachel and I seven hours to preach that first message. I, I didn't know how to do it. I was so frustrated. And I was like, the, the, the enemy's stealing from the church. We're not, what, what, what's going on? And then I started reading the book of Joshua a few weeks later. And, and I, I heard Joshua's voice almost in my own life. Tyler, do you see it? Open your eyes. Have a different perspective. There is victory in this season. People who would never go to church, people who would never, ever check out Mission Church, they're tuning in from their TV screen. People are going to get saved that never would have got saved. Open your eyes to the victory. Open your eyes to the 80%. Stop looking at the 20%. There is great things to be happening in this season. If you're somebody who has been focusing on the 20% of this season being terrible, open your eyes to the other percentage points. Open your eyes to the victory, what's happening. Oh, you have, you have a gift of time right now that you'll never have back from this quarantine. Oh, may you enjoy it, may your eyes be open. Perspective is one of the greatest weapons in warfare. Look for the victory always. Second point is, warfare goes to faithfulness, faithfulness. Let's talk about faithfulness real quick. It's interesting that their first battle, it's Jericho, it's a famous one in Joshua 6, that they're not using the ordinary weapons. Now, in this time, in biblical times, ordinary weapons would have been a battering ram and some scaling ladders. That's how they would have usually taken background. All right, guys, there's a walled city. We're just gonna battering ram the gates and we're gonna use scaled ladders. God does not use ordinary weapons. He uses spiritual ones. You think about this in the New Testament. Oh, he uses weapons that are not of this world. A breastplate of righteousness, helmet of hope, belt of truth, shoes of peace, oh, the, the, the word of God. I mean, so on and so forth. These are the weapons that God uses. And in this one, he uses faithfulness. He uses faithfulness. I want to show you this real quick, Joshua 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord uh, and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead uh, of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guards marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Stop. <laughs> Can you imagine being one of the soldiers? And can I just use the term real quick? The Bible says that we're soldiers. It says to be, be like soldiers and not to get entangled in worldly affairs. So, so the Bible actually describes us as soldiers. Now, can you imagine being a soldier, getting dressed, 
You know, me, I, I picture me, I'm, I, in this time, I'm getting dressed, putting my, my army gear on, and Rachel's going like, oh my gosh, my man, look at you, you know, gladiator, you know, uh, whatever, whichever one, like just, oh, you look so good, you know, uh, and I'm like, you know, putting on my helmet, putting on my breastplate, and she's like, all right, go get them, go kill those Jericho people, just go get them, destroy that town, and so I go out, got all my gear on, and I walk around for the day, and I come back, and Rachel's there, and she's like, so, hey, how's my warrior, how, 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 how'd it go today? How many, how many bad guys did you get? Did, did you win the victory? And I tell her, you know, here's what we did today. We walked around the wall for the whole day, one time, and now I'm back. She would look at me and go, that, that doesn't make sense. That's, that, that's a win? Now, I picture the first one, but what about the fifth day where I'm getting ready with my armor to go on the walk? Am I gonna have the same fervor to just be obedient to God. The fifth day, how about the sixth day? I love the verse in Romans, it says, never be lacking zeal. Oh, I, I don't know what day God's gonna have the walls come down, but there's a promise the walls will come down. Can I be honest with you real quick, church? This is week 16, 15, schmitteen, I don't know how many, schmunkteen, I don't know, put a number in. I know how many weeks we've been doing this now, but here's what I know. I feel like I'm walking around a wall as a pastor. I feel like we're walking around a wall right now because I think we're on the brink of revival. I've said it. I remember preaching in January. I believe in revival. It was the first message of 2020 that I preached. And then this happened. I don't feel like revival is happening. I don't see revival happening. I come and I preach to a camera on Sundays. And then, you know, my, my mom will call me. Hey, how was, how was that recording message? It was great. I stared at a lens for 35 minutes. Felt like I took back a lot of ground today. Here's what I know what I'm supposed to do. Warfare doesn't look the same as the world. I'm gonna be faithful. And I have no idea how many weeks of COVID we're gonna be doing this, circling, circling this, this season. But here's what I do know. Oh, the enemy's not getting rid of us. Oh, we're gonna be faithful. Oh, we're gonna show up and we're taking back ground. And when the Lord says, now, go get your inheritance, we'll be ready to steward it. Church, faithfulness is one of the greatest weapons the church will ever have to take back ground from the enemy and destroy the gates of hell. Oh, and I want to be faithful to forgive. I want to be faithful to show up. I want to be faithful to love those who are unlovable. I want to be faithful to the things of God. I want to be faithful. Faithful people are fruitful people. This is the reality of faithfulness. Man, warfare looks more like faithfulness than any other weapon, if I'm being honest. Oh, God doesn't need the talented people to show up. He needs available people to show up. He needs faithful people to show up. That's when the church gets good. All right, last one is, and this is where the message really, I feel like, culminates is, we must learn how to be obedient, but also guard when we have victory. So they have victory, the wall tumbles. And it says this, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh uh, time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet uh, blast, Joshua commanded them, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and all the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Oof. What it's saying is, hey, don't take what is God's. We're gonna go in here. Every other country and army will go in and pillage like pirates. This is the culture of the world at this time. 
They would act like pirates to every nation. If I could just give you a, a simple term, they, were, they would go in, pillage like pirates, kill people, take their gold, and that's how they would build their wealth. God said this, my people will not be pirates. They will be ambassadors of heaven. I'm not gonna have you go in and build your wealth like the world builds their wealth. I'm gonna have you build it a heavenly way. Do not do those things. This wealth is not yours. It is mine. It is gonna build the temple. It will not be for you. I'm not here to feed your flesh. I'm here to have you serve me. It's this amazing moment because it's the first test of victory. And when we start to taste victory, that really is one of the first tests. I heard one of the past, one pastor tell me one time that success has destroyed more pastors in ministry than failure has. That when you start to get successful, watch out. Do not take what is your, uh, not yours. I'm not taking any glory. None of the glory is mine. It all goes to him. I'm not taking any of the worship for Mission Church. It's not mine. It's for him. It, it gets really sad at church when we start to take what isn't ours. When we start to take entitlement, when we start to try to take titles, when we start to take prominent things that all belong to God, the church loses ground right away when we take what belongs to God. Oh, but when the church stewards what God says to steward, watch what happens. So it wants to look different. So here's what happens. There's a man named Bacon, and he doesn't listen. He, st- he sees something that he wants, and he's unfaithful. Uh, we'll go to Joshua 7. We're almost done. Here we go. But as the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, Achan, son of Carmi, a son of Zimri, and the son of Zarah uh, of the tribe of Judah took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against them. Oh, the beginning. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Oh, faithfulness led to victory. And it's interesting that unfaithfulness led to defeat in this. Check, check out what happens. So they go up to this small town of Ai. They got some swagger now. They, they're like, oh, it's a small one. Just send up a few thousand guys. What happens is they go up to fight and these people end up just destroying the Israelites. 30 plus men die. They chase them down past the quarry. I think it's funny, the rock quarry. Uh, we should just go throw, throw rocks at the quarry one of these days. Sound good? Okay, sweet. So they run, chase them past the quarry, it says in Joshua. And then after they uh, chase them past that, the whole team of, uh, and, and family and tribes of Israel, it says they're melted with fear. And so Joshua, here's what he does. He gets down, he starts crying, he's bawling, he's mourning. And you know what the Lord does? I think this is interesting. You know the Bible says there's a time to mourn? Oh, there's a time to mourn. But this is what the Lord does when he's crying and like, why, why, why did we lose God? Oh, oh please God, we, we want to do what you want us to do. And here's the Lord's response to uh, Joshua when he mourns. But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? This isn't a mourning problem. This isn't an obedience problem. Sometimes we mourn over what we don't have, but the problem is you're mourning. I mean, Proverbs, man ruins his life because of his own folly, yet his heart rages against the Lord. You're mourning about some things you don't have. Stop mourning and start obeying. You, you, think, you think your life is not what it's supposed to be? Maybe it's not because the enemy did it. It's because you're not obeying. And these are things that when we look at the Bible, man, blessing is connected to obedience. And what the Lord is saying is this isn't a mourning problem. This is an obedience problem. Get up, Joshua. Somebody's not being obedient. I call for obedience in this season. I called you on to take back ground. You had to obey my words, not the world's. So he tells him to get up. He says, Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. All right, so to set this up, Joshua brings the tribes together and he has to find out who does it. And here's what happens. Early the next morning, Joshua brought the tribes of Israel uh, before the Lord and the tribes of Judah was singled out. 
goes on to talk about the clans of Judah came forward, Zerah, Zarah, Zimri, all those things were gonna uh, come down and it's Achan was singled out. Uh, and here's what happens. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, verse 19, uh, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth, make your confession and tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins, a bar of gold, weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver uh, buried deeper than the rest. And this is what happens. And this is a, it's kind of an intense story, but I'm gonna unpack to you what, really what the story represents. So Joshua sent some of the men to make a search. They ran in the tent and found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said, and the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, uh, donkeys, sheep, goats, tent, everything he had, and they brought them to the valley of Accor. Then Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his whole family and burned their bodies. They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. Stop. First time I read that story, I was just like, what just happened? And then you process the gravity of it. First of all, I wanna show you something real quick. When Joshua tells Achan, what have you done? Achan is not surprised by the punishment, nor is he surprised about the consequence, if I could put it that way, the same thing. The Lord was very clear on what led to death. Disobedience leads to death. Achan, we can't, we can't laugh at sin. We can't wink at sin. We have to realize what it does. It destroys. And if I'm just being honest, I've seen too many families destroyed by sin. And this is a family that was destroyed by sin, if we could just put it that way. Uh, you gotta picture what was happening at this moment. Uh, what I've noticed about sin is sin affects innocent people. People who didn't even sin taste the shrapnel of sin. Can you imagine, if we could just be real, real honest, we could actually really go to the, the thickness of this, is can you imagine Achan, his wife, and his kids walking to this valley? Can you imagine the kids going to that? Dad, Dad what, did you, what did you do? Dad, why are, why are we going to be, be killed? What, what happened? Why did you do that? Why did you want the gold? Why did, why did you have to take the 200 coins? You got to process what the wife is processing. Oh, our whole family's life is ruined because you chose glory for yourself instead of actually giving it to the Lord. This whole family dies because of one man's sin. I've seen too many pastors um, forfeit their ministry. Um, I've mentors tell me, gold glory girls. If you ever been in our growth track, I talk about this. Gold will... Uh, kill your ministry. Pastors have stolen money and just left. Glory. They, they're too big to set up chairs and they become really big-headed and think they're the greatest thing on the planet. Oh, it destroys them. And then girls. Too many, too, it's just so typical to hear a pastor sleeping with somebody at church. And so when I process my life, this story, when I read this 10 years ago, it's one that I got in my back pocket at all times. Because I understand that if I sin at that level, it's gonna be quite, why, why would you do that? Look how many people your life affects when you sin. Can, can I just say this real quick? We have a gift from Achan to show us how sin is birthed from an idea to death. There's four things that happen in this, and this is what happens in warfare the other way. This is the temptation to destroy you in, in battle. You ready? Achan shows us four ways that sin starts to take root in our life. Go back to verse 20. He says this. It is true I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, among the plunder I saw. Stop. Do you know that you are going to every day have an, uh, an eye, um, your eyes will be opened to the world and you'll see things that are tempting to say yes to? Sin starts with gazing at the wrong things. 
Sin starts with gazing at the wrong things of this world, gazing at vengeance, gazing at lust, gazing at glory, gazing at greed. When you start to gaze at the wrong things, this is when it starts at birth. So the first thing you have to understand is you gotta guard your eyes. There is an answer to when you look at I saw. Do you know what the opposite of looking at the world is? The Bible says to fix your eyes on Jesus. Oof, I wanna read you a verse. Uh, not a verse, I wanna read you a quote from a uh, 19th century pastor. He says this. <laughs> The only way you can ever release the soul from the power of a beautiful object is to give it a more beautiful object. The only way to release a soul from a beautiful object is to give it an even more beautiful object. That more beautiful object, his name is Jesus. Oh, when you look at the world, I, I get it. Things of this world look good. Oh, but if you start fixing your eyes on Jesus, he will look better. So the first thing we see is, Achan, it's almost slow-mo how we see it. He saw it, it was a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. Second thing he did, this is how sin works. You see it and then you weigh it. Weighing is fascinating. He, how do you mean he weighed it? How did he know there's 200 coins? He's counting the coins, a pound. Like He literally is like, oh, this is a pound, it's 200. He's weighing how much this is and what it would mean to him. Do you know what glory uh, uh, is in the, uh, in the Old Testament Hebrew? The Hebrew word glory is weight. It's practical weight, spiritual importance. What he's doing is he's giving glory to gold instead of giving glory to God. Let me put it this way to make it more real for you. You start to weigh what, what things you want to obey from God and not want to obey. Okay, God, I'm gonna obey this sin. That's a good one, but I'm not gonna obey here. God, I'm gonna obey you practically, but I'm not gonna obey you financially because I've weighed it in my mind and the weighing of finances, I just, I'm not there. Sorry, God, I'm gonna do my own thing. Maybe you've, uh, uh, how about your, your purity? Do you know in Romans 12, it says that it's reasonable to be holy? It is not an unreasonable ask of God to ask us to be holy. Your purity, you've maybe weighed it. You know, God, I kind of agree with you, but not totally. So I, I like what I see. I like this girl. I, I'm just gonna take what I want because I see it and I've weighted it and I've given glory to it. And this sounds better than obeying you. This is what sin happens. These are the, the, the process of sin. I saw it and I weighted it. What's the next one? Once you weigh it, you come to the conclusion, I want it. And the simple thing of want is coveting. Because you know what coveting is? Coveting is worshiping. How do you worship? You worship whatever you uh, glorify. Whatever you go, give glory to, you worship. So he gloried the, the gold, and then he coveted the gold. This is worship to his glory. And last but not least, once you want it, guess what you do? You take it. You take it. Can I go back to the very first promise of God? I will give you the land. We're not supposed to take. We're supposed to receive. There is something about that simple little Catch this real quick, church. So many Christians are trying to take what is theirs, take their justice, take their promise, take their glory, take their title. Promotion does not come from the east, the west, the north, the south. It comes from the Lord. Oh, stop taking and just get ready to receive. There's no glory in seeing and weighing and then coveting and then taking. Oh, it will cost you your family. It would cost you your promise. This is a heavy, oh, heavy, heavy um, story, Aiken. But here's what I know. My eyes will not gaze at the world. My eyes will be fixed on Jesus. You know what happens when you fix your eyes on Jesus? You fix your eyes on Jesus. You start to weigh the reward of keeping your eyes on him. You start running the race, like it says in Hebrews. And once you start to give him the glory, you start to worship him. And instead of taking, you start receiving. You fix you glory, you worship, you receive. A whole nother rhythm, the rhythm of greatness. 
Now, what is the reward? Joshua 24, we're gonna finish with this. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or would, will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Woo! You might be saying, hold on a second, Tyler. You said that the rhythm of greatness, pick up your sword. At the beginning, you said it was preparation, warfare, reward. But then you just finished with, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Let me read you another verse, Psalm 84:10. A single day in your courts is better than a thousands elsewhere. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. Until you realize that Jesus is the reward and serving him and your whole house being dedicated to him is the reward, you're never gonna have the reward. You'll always be chasing some fleeting thing that isn't ever gonna be able to be found. The reality is, is that when you start to receive things, the way that it becomes a reward and becomes purified and becomes set apart is when you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh, Church, as we go into this next season, I, uh, I share with Rachel, I feel like this is one of the first tests the church is really going through in a while. And what I mean by test is, man, we're gonna really get tested of where we stand. And there is a new kind of mob mentality that if you don't st stand with this mob mentality, you're going to be the outcast, if you will. Man, cast me out to Jesus. I'm gonna be just fine. My, my prayer for us is, as the Bible says that we're refined by fire, that impurities come to the top. It says in Zechariah, Isaiah, you'll see this in 1 Peter that we're refined by fire. You'll see it throughout. And the refined by fire, really what's happening this season, and, and I've been doing it, I wanna challenge you to do it too, is that when you're getting refined by fire and impurities come to the top, anger, rage, greed, um, whatever, uh, pride, oh, that's what fire does. It brings them up. How the Lord remove them so we can actually be the church we're called to be. Oh man, this is a purifying season. I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm not gonna hate it. I'm gonna walk through it and then I'm gonna receive what God has for me. Does that sound good, church? I'm gonna pray for you. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you for the, uh, the gift that it is that we get to be in this region for such a time as this. And right now I pray for the one that tuned in today and didn't know anything about Jesus. If you've never said yes to Jesus, I wanna give you that opportunity. What I love about the word of God, it says that God literally will, will open up hearts, that'll open up eyes, and you'll be able to see for the first time God's glory, how great he is. You'll be able to actually see the weight, the glory of God, and you actually wanna say yes to him. If that's you, if you wanna say yes to Jesus, there's three ways we uh, have you do that. One is in the YouTube, say yes. Second one is simple. Uh, instead of saying yes in the YouTube uh, chat, you can uh, go on our website and say, I said yes, we'll have a pastor follow up with you. And the third one is, you got a friend that knows Jesus, tell me he said yes, have him pray with you. The Bible says, when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Woo! It's been amazing seeing people get saved through technology, actually being able to stream uh, on Sundays. Oh, Mission Church, I love you. Had the best Sunday, had the best 4th of July. Can't wait to see you soon. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.